I grew up in a tiny little wooded town called Rabbit's Creek. To say it was a boring town is an understatement. This is the kind of place where people come to in summer, do some camping and just to be in nature, if you know what I mean. Eight months out of the twelve, this place has nothing. Not even a movie theater. Hell, not even a dollar general. And so, as a kid in Rabbit's Creek, you dream of going to the city. We all had the same dream of escaping this hellhole for the nearest area of dense population. That said, just because the town's boring doesn't mean the inhabitants are. In summer, Rabbit's Creek wakes up like a kid on Christmas Day, bristling with energy and the desire to have fun. I wasn't one of the lucky ones who could leave for the big state U, but that was fine. Even if my dream of leaving Rabbit's Creek as soon as I became an adult couldn't be fulfilled, there were still things that I could do. Besides, I wasn't the only poor kid in Rabbit's Creek, so I wasn't going to be all alone. As we said our goodbyes to our lucky friends, six of us, who stayed, made a promise, we would have the most amazing summer of our lives. We would party every weekend without restraint, and in different spots so that we didn't get caught. Since Rabbit's Creek is a small town in the middle of nowhere, there wasn't a lack of places to exploit. There was the old abandoned residential district, with lots of moldy trailer homes. When the dam broke away, this place got the worst inundation Rabbit's Creek had ever seen. Most of the folks who lived there back then lost everything. Insurances could only cover so much, and all the houses were at total loss. Never understood why the city didn't tear down the old trailer park, but it was probably a question of money. Nowadays, it's mostly empty, except for a few junkies and squatters. Police regularly visit that place to shoot people away, but it's still somewhat of a popular spot. My friends and I threw the wildest parties in there. There were also a lot of wild areas since Rabbit's Creek is surrounded by forest. And by following the motocross trails, we could find a lot of the old shacks or just an open area where we could party. So there wasn't a lack of spaces to have impromptu wild parties. But what I'm about to tell you though is just completely out there. And I mean it by, like, out there. Because it's still there, and we still haven't decided what to do about it. We know we have to do something about it. We just don't know what the fuck to do about it. Pardon my French. It was right in the middle of summer, and I'd been straining all day in my dad's garage, trying to fix the brakes on our four-wheelers because they made some noises that I didn't like. I was just about ready when Jay called me and asked me if I wanted to go out to the woods with him. Daniel, Emily, Emma, and Chris. We would find our new place for the upcoming party, and he said Daniel found a new track to follow. I smelled like a pig, so I told him I would shower and call him back. Honestly, I just didn't want to go. After eight consecutive weekends of partying, I was starting to grow tired. My liver could only handle so much alcohol. 
There was also the fact that I wanted to save money to escape this hell town, and partying every weekend was expensive. At least, in my case, because it takes a lot to get me drunk, and then I want to eat everything. And, well, also, when I'm drunk, I'm a little too generous with my funds, and end up paying for the Waffle House at 3 in the morning for everyone. That said, after rinsing off the sweat and a good shower, I called him back and said I would go. There was still a nasty feeling nagging me though. But hey, you only live once. It was only one summer of going completely bonkers wild. Come autumn and winter, and I could stack enough cash that I'd be able to leave the next spring. I mean really, what was wrong with a few more weeks of debauchery? I met with the guys at her usual spot in front of Emma's mom's bakery. Dan was waiting in his dad's minivan for me and Emily, which hadn't shown up yet. She drove up 15 minutes late with an apology, saying that she couldn't find her cat and didn't want to leave it outside for too long. And after that, we took off for the other side of town, which wasn't too far. We parked somewhere secluded enough that nobody would see the van from the road. The whole time, Dan kept rambling about how he found this weird trail in the forest, hidden behind what looked like three or four rows of trees. He said something to the effect that the way they grew looked like they were planted. They lined up too perfectly for them not to have been planted. Supposedly, behind those rows of trees was a trail, but he didn't have time to explore at all. He just had a hunch this would lead to some fantastic place. And lo and behold, this wasn't one of Dan's lies. Dan was telling the truth. While wild trees were growing around the area, there was a spot where a dozen trees lined up perfectly in four distinct groves. And once we passed that, I saw what he meant by trail. It was more like a hidden road. There was enough space for a jeep to drive up the path. While nature was slowly reclaiming the area with tree roots showing and plants growing in the middle of that road, it was clear that this particular space was once altered and used by humans. So, our interest grew, and we kept following that trail for about 45 minutes. It was no wonder Dan didn't explore it all the first time. But what we found at the end of it was just... Well, it was perfection. For a bunch of barely adult brats with an unquenchable thirst for partying, this was the dream location. For one, it was far enough into the woods that no one would hear or find out about it. Two, even if it rained, we'd be safe. And three, it was just so fucking badass. I'm not even exaggerating. We found what looked like a vast abandoned pipe. We could see about 10 or 12 feet of it poking from the hill in the woods, the rest being somewhat hidden underground. When I say huge, oh, I mean it. It was enormous. Hell, even before entering it, I could tell this place could easily host 100 people. If we had stretched the party zone into the woods, I was sure the whole town could participate. That said, we only needed space for about maybe 
20 people. So, this was gigantic. And perfect. I could already imagine setting up the sound system and generator and just have the music blasting into the pipe. With the metal walls, I was willing to bet the sound would be incredible. Needless to say, we were all pretty excited about this find. Unfortunately, the night was about to fall, so we couldn't explore too deep into the pipe the first time. We promised each other to come back the next day with flashlights, just to see what we'd be working with. And when we came back, we were oh so ready to explore the pipe. The six of us packed bags with first aid kits, flashlights, ropes, and anything that would be useful. I'm gonna give us this much. We were cautious for a bunch of party kids. I also put on my dad's steel-plated boots just in case. I just didn't trust my sneakers to be enough. As we walked down the pipe, we realized it was much longer than we had thought. We couldn't see all the way back because it was getting dark but it was a good 500 feet for sure. The terrain was also a lot cleaner than I had expected. A bit of water here and there, but it was still somewhat kept. Maybe because nature couldn't take over a giant metal pipe so fast. I don't know. And then we reached the end of it. The end wall had a giant metallic sign with a series of symbols and numbers on it. But what intrigued me the most was a latch in the ground. Okay, yeah, the pipe was a fantastic party spot, but the thought of going underground just... Well, it sounded cool at the time. I don't know, maybe we were just reckless idiots and should have kept this pipe as our party ground, but I just had to suggest that we open the latch and go down to see what we would find. And though Emily and Jay weren't too fond of the idea of an underground party, they too agreed because they knew it would be one hell of a story to tell in the future. Hey, you remember that one time we found an abandoned place in an abandoned pipe in the middle of the woods and through that slamming ass party? Yeah, me too. We all swore we'd make incredible memories this summer. And this place was rapidly becoming the highlight of it. Or so we thought. The latch was harder to open than expected. We still managed it. It winced as we opened it. Stale air hit us right in the face with the weight of a truck. Emma even turned around and made a vomit noise. I mean, the smell was terrible. But I simply thought it was because it had been closed for so long. We waited a few minutes for the draft to pass, and Emma said she was giving up. We tried to convince her to come with us, but we also didn't try too hard. Everyone else was pumped, so when we told her she'd have to walk back alone or wait for us in the pipe, she decided to follow. Obviously, she didn't want to go, and I still had that nagging feeling, but seeing her in distress amused me. Kind of like taking the edge off myself by seeing someone more uneasy than me about it. Even though I was the one to suggest the opening of the latch, and finding the idea of an underground party cool, I was still a bit scared. I mean, 
who knew what we would find in there. I was also worried about the whole thing collapsing on me, but I just blamed my claustrophobia. The ladder going down wasn't in ample space either, so we could only go down one at a time, and since I was the one to suggest going down, I was going first. The ladder seemed to go on forever, but in actuality, it probably only took me a couple of minutes to go down. I was pleased when my feet were back on solid ground though. I turned on my flashlight, and there were more metal signs on the wall. I also found what looked like an electric panel. Hey guys, do you think this thing still has power? I laughed as I popped the panel and turned on a few buttons. Much to my surprise, something lit up about 20 feet from me. There was a large iron door with a single circular window at its top, and I turned on the lights behind it. Holy shit, are you seeing this? I remember what I said when I realized we found some underground facility. I didn't know what yet, but in retrospect, we should have left. What's so good about an underground building, hidden in the middle of the woods? All I could think about was, best party location ever. When my brain should have been, wait, that's suspicious as fuck. And now I regret being stupidly naive and optimistic about it. I turned off my flashlight and waited for everyone to be on the ground before walking toward the door. As the tallest guy, I was the one prompted to look through the window, and I saw nothing. I mean, nothing interesting. All I saw was white and gray halls and a sign that showed the direction to a staircase. I suggested we all let's go in with reckless abandon, not thinking about the consequences of my actions at all. I turned the wheel on the door heard the mechanism wince, and a loud clicking noise. After that, pulling the door open was easy. We all got in at once, but before I could tell Emma to leave the door open, the door closed on us. I went back to open it but realized that there was no handle on the inside. The door could only be opened from the outside. Oh, damn it, Emma. She raised her voice and told me it wasn't her fault, that I should have told her. And she's not wrong, but... God damn it. I wish she wasn't that stupid either. Emily seemed a little panicked, so I reassured her that if this door could only be opened from the outside, that meant there was a way out somewhere else. Her traits softened a little, but she still looked apprehensive. I didn't want to worry about that, so I turned around and led the pack down the hallway. It was time to explore the abandoned facility. The first floor wasn't all that impressive. Lots of empty meeting rooms with a bit of dust on the tables. I didn't know how long this place had been abandoned, but considering the amount of dust... Well, actually I had no idea. The place was sealed. The ventilation I heard was like triggering when I was playing with the buttons behind the panel. The air still smelled stale, though not terrible. 
There was a little bit of a weird scent about the place though, but I wouldn't say the air wasn't breathable. But after duly exploring the first level, we realized there wasn't much that could be done here. I mean, those meeting rooms still had curtains for some reason. So if we put some old mattresses or couches there, it could make for a great hangout. Or that one place to go when you want a quick fuck in the middle of a party. You know what I'm talking about. But party-wise, not enough room to dance. And so I decided we'd have to look for the cafeteria if there was such a thing in the place. As we walked back toward the staircase, we found a panel on the wall describing the place's layout. There were five floors going down, and some of these looked like they had larger spaces. We decided to go straight to level three, as the second basement floor looked like it had a similar layout to the first. It was also weird how nothing was written in English. It was just a bunch of symbols, letters, and numbers mixed together. I figured it was a secret code, but none of us were smart enough to figure out what they meant. I also tried to look for exit routes, but the plan didn't show any, or at least none easily identifiable, so we had no choice but to explore anyway. It was only when we got to the third floor that things started to go downhill. As excited as I was about this place being a party zone, my interest was shut down just as quickly. The third floor was a floor of absolute carnage. The moment we opened the door, I felt like something was off. Although this place was sealed shut and relatively sterile, the third floor reeked. I could also hear the distinct squeaking of rats over my head, their tiny little claws scratching in the vents as they scurried off to God knows where. When I pushed the door open, the scent was the first thing that greeted me, because my eyes couldn't believe what I was seeing, and my brain refused to register the sight for a minute. When I finally got control of myself again, I felt my heart tightening, my spine stiffening, and my blood turning to ice in my veins. On the floor, right in front of the door, were three skeletons, and even if I wanted to think they were Halloween decorations, they were far too realistic for that. There were dark stains everywhere, on the floors, the walls, around the skeletons, and the door, like hands that tried to grab at something before slowly falling toward the ground. I could see hand shapes on the walls and the doors, and I knew those dark stains were blood. The scent was more potent on this floor too, so I guessed that what I smelled was the human remnants below. My head started spinning so much that I had to put my hand on the wall, avoiding a stain by a few centimeters. I could hear my friends talking in the background, and the sounds of the steps on the stairs. I didn't have to look to know that Emma was going back up. She was in absolute hysterics, and I could hear her voice despite not hearing the words. Everything was such a blur at that moment. Now It took me a bit longer to feel like myself again, 
When I did, I started walking down the hallway. I felt Emily's hand on my shoulder and I looked at her. I was still dizzy, but she didn't need to speak. I could see on her face that she was worried about me. She told me Emma and Jay were going back to try and open the door and wanted to know what I would do. I told her I was just going to see it through, that I was going to find a way out. I heard Emma and Jay leaving, and I turned back around to face the hallway of Gore. I felt my stomach clench and something burning in my guts. I thought I was going to be sick, so I took baby steps. I slowly walked down the hallway, trying my best not to look at the many skeletons and the dark stains. But I couldn't. My every thought was on those skeletons and what had happened to them. The story behind all this. There were so many of them that it was hard to believe an incident of this scale wasn't in the town's urban legends, at least. I'd never heard of something so gruesome happening in Rabbit's Creek. At the end of the hallway and past a few science rooms, we finally found the cafeteria. This place was an even bigger mess than the hallways. Skeletons and decaying bodies were laying about in different positions, all over the place. The tables and chairs were flipped over as if a war had happened in that room. One of the skeletons was wearing a scientist jacket. So, I leaned down, and I found a name tag. Dr. George Baker, hematologist. I stood up and looked around the cafeteria, and so did the four others, trying to find a way out. There were no windows, no doors, just a big empty space like the map showed. If I was still looking for a place to party, the cafeteria is big enough. Maybe for Halloween since the decoration was on point already though. Anyway, I swallowed heavily and I turned back, my eyes locking with another informative panel. I looked at the place's layout again, and I really wish I didn't have to go to the fourth or fifth floor, but I couldn't see a way out. I was starting to feel claustrophobic too, despite the place being big enough to fit five school buses and then some. Gesturing to my other friends so that they'd get closer, I noticed that they all looked scared shitless. It kind of reassured me that I wasn't the only one spooked, but it was a tiny consolation amid all this chaos. We have to go down. I saw the instant rejection on Chris and Daniel's faces. Out of all four of us, Emma was the one who looked the calmest. Then again, the girl watched every true crime show available on Netflix. She's super into death for some reason. I didn't think she was comfortable surrounded by all these skeletons, but she was the only one who didn't seem about ready to keel over in panic. I think she didn't mind the skeletons as much as she minded being stuck down here. So when I said that we had to go down, she was the only one who didn't seem terrified at the prospect. So I offered my friends a deal. I would explore the fifth floor with Emily, 
and they could check the fourth for an exit. Whoever found an exit first had to come fetch the others. Dividing the floors between us would make things faster, and honestly, the faster we were out, the better. We went back to the staircase and went downstairs, to the fifth floor. We said our goodbyes on the fourth floor and realized the fifth was plunged in complete darkness. I didn't switch all the buttons on, so I probably didn't activate the fifth. I looked for light switches but couldn't find any on those iron walls. Disgruntled, I fetched back my flashlight and felt Emma's arm wrapping around mine. If it had been any other moment, well, I would have been delighted to have a girl sticking to me. But I knew it wasn't because it was me. Because we were in the dark in a military bunker filled with corpses. I breathed in deep and we went downstairs. Emily hooked at my arm. We opened the door and I flashed the walls in hopes of finding a switch. In the main hallway, there weren't any, but it seemed that individual rooms had them. I opened a lot of doors and turned on as many lights as I could. It lit up the bunker a little bit, but not enough to say I could stop using my flashlight. Every single room was filled with weird machinery and pieces of equipment I'd never seen before. This all looked very high-tech for a place that had been abandoned for a while. The machines were also only slightly covered in dust, but I imagine the lack of oxygen does that. The only good thing about this floor was the near absence of skeletons. I saw one or two in the rooms near the door, but there wasn't any more going further in. We finally reached the central area, as depicted on the panels earlier. It was a large, somewhat empty room with a huge thing standing in the middle. It was a big square with lots of tubes running through it, and a large red glass panel in its center. Down the middle was what looked like the control board with lots of screens, keyboards, levers, and switches. I had no idea what this machine was. I was trying to figure it out when the lights suddenly turned on. I realized then that Emily had let go of my arm and had turned on a light switch. Tons of neon light from the ceiling high above us lit up at once, illuminating this machine. Right in front of the device was a skeleton who slid off a chair. It was still holding a gun, and there was a hole in the skull. It was more than enough for me to figure out that whoever that was pulled the trigger and off themselves in front of that machine. Whatever it was, it was evil. I could feel it gnaw at the very marrow of my bones. Power on. Tuning. A loud electronic voice filled the room and filled me with dread. I ran toward Emily and grabbed her arm, probably stronger than I cared to admit, as I dashed toward the staircase. This room was empty, except for this machine, and I didn't want to learn what it did once it was turned on. I had a sinking feeling that this very thing was the reason why there were so many skeletons around. As we ran up the stairs, we met with our friends on level 4. Panicked, I told them that we needed to find a way out. 
now, explain quickly about the machine and try to run toward the upper floors. But I was stopped by Chris, who wanted more of an explanation. I was confused and terrified, so the words came out choppy and stressed. A big machine. It's tuning. This is why the skeletons... We gotta go. That kind of nonsense. I couldn't put my thoughts straight and Emily was trying her best. The sound of steps from upstairs came back and we heard Emma's voice screaming at us to come up. She and Jay found a way out on the second floor, but a sudden red light was flashing. They didn't know what it meant. Seconds after that, an alarm started blaring throughout the entire bunker. We all started running upstairs at once and toward the exit on the second floor. And just like the first time, it was a door that could only be opened from one side. When we got out of the facility, we ran a few meters and found a ladder that went up. And we climbed it as if our lives depended on it. And you know what? Maybe it did. The latch there was also hard to open, but it opened in an area of high grass instead of an abandoned pipe. We had no idea we were in the forest, but I couldn't care less about being lost in the woods once I was out. I thought it was way better to be lost in the woods than to be lost in whatever that place was. And so, we closed the latch, and I could still feel the adrenaline rushing through my system. I didn't even realize how tight I was clenching my fists until I felt the sting of my nails piercing into my skin. My chest was heaving, and I was soaking in sweat. None of us said a single word as we walked back into the forest, waving our flashlight around until one of us found a trail and followed it back to the edge. We were all still silent as we took place in Dan's van, and he drove us home. I was the last one to get dropped off, and before I left Danny's van, Dan said something to me that I'll never forget. Did you see it? He was trembling. A machine, yeah, I saw it, I replied. No, not the machine. I saw something in there. Something not human. Something lurking in the darkness after the machine was turned on and the alarms started going off. Wait, hold on, Dan, what? Where? I responded. I caught a glimpse of it in one of those rooms on the second level. It was looking right at us. He started yelling. What, like an animal? No. A shrouded white face with gnarled teeth, and it was screaming the sound of the alarm. There was no party in the upcoming weekend. I started working out my dad's garage again, trying to save money and occupy my time. I met with our group yesterday to talk about what we saw, what we should do about it. I'm just not sure, I mean, should we tell people about it? Do the people of Rabbit's Creek even know about the place? And if so, why has no one said anything about it? Ever? That bunker is still there, and it's a risk.
and now it's powered on because of us. It's been about a week, and I'm terrified of what could happen to the town. What should we do? What should I do?